Magic is power. My name is Patrick. I am your legacy newbie, and with me this week, celebrating the holidays, Mr. Jerry Me. What's up, Jerry? Uh, happy holidays, Pat. It's a wonderful Merry Christmas time. to you, Jerry. Yeah, yeah, man. It's great. It's great. Uh, we also have uh, a very special guest joining us this week. But first, as always, you know, we want to thank Hipster of the Coast for bringing Leaving Legacy to your ears every Friday. Hipster of the Coast has tons of great legacy content, commander content, limited, everything you could possibly want. Uh, so you can check it out, leaving legacy at hipstersofthecoast.com. And also, if you want to support the show, you can visit patreon.com slash leaving legacy. You can support for as little as a dollar, as little as a dollar an episode. You think I'd be able to get this out of my mouth? I've been saying it so many times, Jerry. <laughs> for as little as a dollar an episode. And we have some awesome rewards on there stickers, shout outs, play mats, Discord channels, and more. Uh, so check it out. The link is in the show notes. Uh, so this week, Jerry, we have our, our our friend returning to the cast, Mr. Gavin Verhey. What's going on, Gavin? Hey, everybody, and hey, listeners, near, far, wherever you are. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate it. That's right, worldwide. So uh, we are kind of in the post-holiday glow right now. This will be coming out just after Christmas, um, but we're going to do a little a little story time with Gavin this this week. Uh, the last time you were on, Gavin, you regaled us with many wonderful tales from inside uh, R&D at Wizards of the Coast. So that was a ton of fun. We wanted to have you on again. Um, but first, so some of the changes that have happened since uh, the last episode. I think you became a senior designer at WotC. Is that correct? Yeah. Get off my lawn, you whippersnappers. <laughs> um, absolutely. I'm, I'm senior now, which basically just means that I get to put the word senior in front of my name. And I've been here um, <laughs> doing some pretty good work recently so i've been recognized for it which is great and uh yeah now i get to put senior on things which is a true sign that i'm getting older get get those <laughs> upgraded business cards yeah, absolutely the, the first thing i did is i my boss called me into his office he told me i was getting promoted i you know got excited i was like great i walked back to my desk and i ordered new business cards so <laughs> gotta get those in because they take a while you know it's a few weeks so i want to make sure that i have them by the time i go traveling for the holidays gotta so the question is around. do you like do you hand edit the ones that you the current ones that you have? So when you give them out, they say senior, like handwritten over designer. Is that what you do? No. Now that you mention it, I could do that. I could draw, draw little stick figures on them. So one yeah. year, uh, see, I'll just start telling the stories. What? Why even bother stopping? Um, so what we play test on, if you if you've never seen, so we kind of have two ways of play testing. We have stickered magic cards, which is where we take stickers and print out the game text and actually affix them to magic cards. And we play test with a lot of those. But the other way that we generally play test is we have something very unique inside Wizards, which are blank magic cards. They have a magic card back, but the front is just white. And if you're building a deck really quickly, you might write on those. For example, if I'm putting Lightning Bolt into my deck, I might just write three and an R, and I know what mm-hmm. it does. So I can really quickly build the deck to play test. And there was a convention... I went to where I didn't have any business cards because I forgot to bring them or whatever, <laughs> but I had a stack of these playtest cards, so I just wrote my information on them and then handed them out to people. So it's like, oh, here's my magic business card. It's a literal magic card with uh, my information on the front. <laughs> oh, those, are, those are probably like collector's items now. <laughs> Best card in your binder, I gotta say. <laughs> so, so I have to ask you, uh, and I, if you can comment on this, great. If not, I understand. What is, we'll call it, what is the rarest 
car that's been stickered for playtesting that you've seen? Well, <laughs> my favorite <laughs> playtest sticker that I think I've ever seen is when we were playtesting, I think, Modern Masters 2, Modern Masters, whatever that was, 2015. Mm-hmm. And there was a stickered Tarmogoyf. <laughs> so that's a Tarmogoyf with a sticker on top of it. Um, so was we, the, someone was the had sticker Tarmogoyf? And the best part was, you guessed it, the sticker was Tarmogoyf. Because, <laughs> you know, you used to have a stack of green cards and you're stickering over them and, oh, well, there goes that. I mean, I, I wrote an article once for Wizards where I showed off a stickered card and the card that we had stickered on was Soren Markov, the six-man of Planeswalker, and yep. people went ballistic. So I can only imagine what the, what happened if... Well, you're hearing it right now, so yeah. if you stop listening to the podcast at this point, I would totally understand. <laughs> hey, I mean, I, I appreciate the fact that you guys live by the, the code of, they're just pieces of cardboard, guys. That's all they are. I appreciate that. Uh, well, and, and actually, tr- truthfully, we try not to stick on those kinds of cards, simply because mm-hmm. we often want them for building decks. For example, if we're going to sure. go out and spell sling... You know, want to make sure we can build our modern decks, for example. And if we're missing Tarmogoyfs because we stickered on them and then incinerated them, well, that's not the best way to go about it. So we often do Wait, try the and cards save, get incinerated? save cards. <laughs> they got it got incinerated after the fact. Well, what do you think we do with them? We don't just leave them around. We got to move them out of the building somehow. Uh... <laughs> well, you're surely not going to play with your sticker Tarmogoyf. It's got like sticker on top of it. It's illegal, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, got, I have to leave the podcast thousands now. of listeners are having right now. <laughs> uh, I have to leave now. <laughs> so, so uh, aside from uh, being uh, knighted as a senior designer at WotC, you were also recently on Game Nights. Uh, Good transition. With, uh, I like that. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I just came up with that in my head. I'm very proud of myself. I saw him uh, writing it like three days ago. <laughs> <laughs> um so how was that i mean uh josh lee kwai and uh and and uh jimmy wong do an amazing job with that series how was that being on that show again well it was fantastic i've loved both times that i've been on and josh and jimmy are both great friends of mine in fact i was kind of the person who helped get jimmy into where he is in the game right now um i met him at vidcon which is the youtube convention that happens every year for those who mm-hmm. aren't familiar and i met him maybe four years ago or so and he was just picking up this game called magic and I, some mutual friends knew him, and it's like, oh, this, this Jimmy guy knows magic or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I went to go talk to him about it, and he was really excited. And turns out he's quite a big deal because of the show he did, Video Game High School. Mm-hmm. And so I got him a tour of the office, and then he you know, started talking with our people, and he wanted to make content, and that was fantastic. And he quickly spiraled into being this huge creator we are now. And I love his stuff. Like he, They do incredible work. And Josh Lee Kwai, also amazing. I mean, talk about time and energy and love and care put into these episodes. Oh, my gosh. It's, it, ins- it's insane. The production value of that show is out of this world. I mean, so it's not often that you can say you have one of the best people in the world working on something. But you have to understand, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but before Josh did this, he worked at Disney cutting their trailers like Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, yeah. He's like edited like major, major trailers for films. It's crazy. Right. Which is unbelievable. And um, getting him to work on game nights is pretty sweet. So every yeah. time that comes out, is fantastic. I've shown it to non-Magic players. They love it. I've, I've watched it. I've watched all their episodes and uh, they're phenomenal. I'll basically watch whatever these guys do. So it's really amazing stuff. It, what I love about game, and not to go to on too much of a tangent here, but what I love about game nights is that it makes the 
game of magic so digestible and so tactile. Like when a creature gets bigger, they literally have like a like a leveling up sound, and you see the card actually magnify a little bit. Um, they animate a lot of these things, and it really just does such a great job of bringing the card game to life. And and I mean beyond the fact that they have just great personalities. Um, they just they bring the game to life. It's really fantastic to see. So that's awesome. It was really entertaining to watch you. And I saw you uh, uh, beat Josh in the first round. I'm sorry, you beat uh, Jimmy in the first round, and you moved on to the finals uh, versus Morrow. I haven't seen the finals. How did that go for you? Uh, I won't spoil it. I won't spoil it. But if you want to find <laughs> out, check it in the show notes or Google it, and you can go and find it. And I'm I would just recommend if you've never seen their show before, watch the episode I'm on because you know clearly, and then <laughs> after you're done. Go back and watch all their other stuff because they have some really, really great material in there. And they've, they've built out a whole studio for it now. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's really amazing. Yeah, I mean, we used to film them. The first time I filmed the game nights for Arch Enemy Nicol Bolas, we were film, still filming in Jimmy's apartment. And you know, mm-hmm. now they have a whole studio, and it is really something else. So from yeah, one podcast really- to another, check them out. <laughs> yeah, it's super cool. Super cool. All right. Um, all right, Jerry, do you want to get into uh, some of our um, questions from our patrons on Discord? Yeah, let's do the, the Patreon ones, then jump on the Facebook. Uh, we got some good some questions friends, this time. Friends around the world, gather around the, the fire here <laughs> as I tell you stories of my time as a player and my time as a wizard. It's time for Gavin's story time. <laughs> I got goosebumps. I know. I'm fighting for the good spot by the fire. <laughs> it's a very tiny fire. It can only take it's, one human around it. It's bad mine. news for the other one of you. Uh, so Commanderian uh, wants to know, uh, what is the last time you played Legacy? Or how about when the last time anyone future future leagued Legacy at R&D? Is that Commanderian as in the podcast Commanderian? Uh, I don't think a commander oh. zero ion. Yeah, ah, I see. Yeah, I see. I don't know how I could have possibly gotten confused with that. <laughs> While we're shouting out other podcasts, Commander in a great podcast, been on a few times oh, now, yeah. which is why I was excited and also confused that they had taken this opportunity to ask me a question. <laughs> um, considering they basically have a, a direct line to my heart at this point. So, yeah, legacy. We definitely have played Legacy with um, in Future Future League a handful of times. We don't do it as often as, say, Standard or Draft, because Standard and Draft are by far the highest amount of Magic played. But whenever we make a card that we think might have a chance in Legacy, we like to at least think about it. And there's a few people on staff who are Legacy experts. Brian Hawley, for example, plays a lot of Legacy in Seattle. Many other people in R&D have a Legacy background. Adam Prozac, who you might remember as a Storm Master on the Star City Open Circuit a while back. He works on this kind of stuff. And we're always thinking about that and figuring out what we want to do. Nice. Awesome. Uh, Anthony, kind of taking it wider, what's the your favorite set you've ever designed? Well, my favorite set that I've designed, I can't tell you about, which is very sad to me. Oh! <laughs> but For a future episode, future episode. <laughs> yes. Once you know about it, I will not stop talking about it. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but for now, I would have to say Commander 2017. Okay. It, first of all, besides being incredibly incredibly popular it was just a blast to work on it was a great opportunity to get a bunch of cool cards out there in the world you got to build around four tribes and really it felt kind of like my baby carrying it all the way because i chose what the tribes were what the themes of the deck were made a bunch of really cool uh, exciting cards i I got to bring phasing back into the game yeah wild (laughs) 
And they even made so, they even made some legacy splash without like breaking the format, which is also always appreciated. Yeah, with Commander, we. I mean, it used to be we had a different philosophy, as I'm sure you will quickly um, understand when I tell you my next sentence. But uh, we don't really try and make cards that hit legacy in Commander decks mm-hmm. anymore. But we <laughs> uh, like it if they're cards you can think about for legacy, if that makes sense. So we don't want to make like a top tier thing that you're going to show up in legacy. But if you're like, oh man, maybe I could try build- building this goofy Teferi's protection deck. What could I do? Or yeah. my Kess deck or something like that. Um, I, that's fun to think about, and I, I enjoy that. It's just when you end up with things like True Name Nemesis, for example, that right. you, you have problems. Exactly. I like. I thought the cards were fun and interesting and made you want to try them in Legacy, but they weren't just like, oh, this is a no-brainer. This goes in as a four of in my deck, no problem. <laughs> Additionally, we found that if we do put cards in ancillary products and especially commander it's a lot more fun if they're answers as, as opposed to threats a good answer is like okay great you're just dealing with something that that's fine but a, a threat like a true name nemesis is pretty frustrating to deal with yeah and, sure. and that one in particular but in general <laughs> awesome uh we have uh lecker andy <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, Leclerc. Oh, Leclerc. Uh, I wish people would just yes. put their real names on Discord. <laughs> I know. Uh, what is a card that during design you thought would be a player in Legacy, but ended up not being played at all? Uh, also, a card you had no idea would be good in Legacy, but ended up being good. Oh my goodness, this is an excellent question. Let me let me think here. The second one is probably going to be easier to answer. A card that because all kinds of crazy stuff shows up in Legacy. I'll tell actually I'll tell you a format where crazy stuff shows up that I would never expect, and that's vintage. I mean, what mm. I would have never thought the paradoxical outcome would become a staple <laughs> of the vintage format. It's like this goofy three U card from Kaladesh that is a Johnny build around that never saw any play in standard. I mean, I guess I saw like some casual play in a, in a standard combo deck, but never really saw much play in standard. Saw no modern play, doesn't get played in commander or anything, no legacy. But skip right over all that vintage staple, the one of the most powerful decks in vintage, right? <laughs> or it's sort of like the the slash panther thing, right? Yeah. Um, well, I'll answer the second one first, which is. There's so in legacy traditionally, you know, cheap, efficient cards are what rule the roost. And so we didn't expect it to see a lot of play, although now it does see actually quite a bit of play um, in legacy. And that's a monastery swift spear. We thought, yeah, it might be, you know, a nice standard card, but I don't think anyone expected that card to see quite as much play as it actually ended up seeing, legacy mm. included. Right. Um, and, you know, now, yeah, you play it in your Delver deck. It's just a one mana creature that easily goes to three, four power and um, mm-hmm. it gets really large as far as or go ahead sorry i was gonna say especially the haste aspect i feel if it didn't have haste it probably wouldn't see play but it was just kind of like the perfect it would just just be goblin guide if it didn't have haste right and even that and even that second toughness is incredibly relevant yes oh totally i mean it's it's amazing how often that second toughness really matters it just punching through things and make sure you can attack and did did it need to be a one two well probably not but there you go it's especially on prowess like Two toughness on a prowess creature can especially get out of hand um, just because you try and kill it uh, with something like a lightning bolt and then your opponent goes brainstorm lightning bolt back. Oh, now it's a now it's a three, four. Um, Right. But yeah, just being able to dodge things like engineered plague and uh, all the other like minus one minus one effects in the format. 
as far as a card that I thought was going to see a lot of play, and I haven't really shown up in Legacy that much. I mean, there's tons and tons that come to mind, but I, the first one that, that I think of is Sorcerer's Spyglass. This, um, you know, the, the Pithy Needle from Ixalan. It's, that, it's in a see little bit. Yeah. Was, okay, okay, that's making it. Glad, glad to know that we weren't completely off there. But, you know, <laughs> as a way to peek at your opponent's hand, plus shut down one of your opponent's cards, uh, you know, we thought that would be a, a fairly... A popular thing to think I, to do. I, I think it's been given the the loving nickname "Peeking Needle." Ah, yes, <laughs> the, the the classic Peeking Needle. Yes, yeah. but I, I know, it's well, very specific. It, yeah, uh, just it, like I think all these Chalice decks love it, just because Pithing Needle they want to run, but they can't because it always gets countered. Right. Well, and with Legacy, we make a lot of cards that we think are like well probably not going to show up in legacy but if it did it wouldn't surprise us you know because kind of the opposite of the first question i just kind of like these long range shots i mean um you know the spyglass is one we thought maybe a little more than others but all kinds of things were like ah maybe this could show up because all kinds of crazy um you know one or two of show up in legacy I, you know domri raid a, a planeswalker from uh, gate crash that's a creature focus showed up as recent as legacy championships um and so you know there's all kinds of sideways stuff that shows up especially for weird answers like you know the ne- true name nemesis is a problem in the format well okay you're gonna play this weirdo sacrifice card because it deals with true name nemesis you know mm-hmm. um so all, all kinds of sideways cards show up sometimes and yeah, never, never entirely sure which ones it's going to be. But we try and add in enough cards that occasionally something will show up. Awesome. Uh, Josh Merriman actually has a great question that I want to riff on. Um, kind of expanded a bit, but so he says, "Is the fact that Karn is able to be cast off the three Urza lands intentional or a coincidence? Uh, because I've noticed that a lot of good, notable Kola spells are at seven mana." So, I mean, obviously when you design cards, you can't keep everything in mind. Things slip through the cracks. But, I mean, are there, are there like, big things that you guys are cognizant of when you're designing cards? Like, oh, we can't do this because it breaks it, you know, with this other card that we printed a few years ago. Absolutely. And, in fact, that's part of the art of game design. And one of the hard parts of game design is trying to balance everything and figure out, okay, well, if we make this, what does that go crazy with? And with the... You know, big burgeoning field of modern with Commander as a format now, with Legacy as a format. There's more and more times we have to think about that because there was a time where it was like, okay, well, you just think about it for standard, right? And if it doesn't impact, you know, if it doesn't overlap in standard, it's not that big of a deal. But now with modern Legacy and Commander, now we have to think about this more than ever. And how is this going to impact older formats? And what is this combo with? And you know, what are the the off the beaten path things? And we're always trying to make sure we don't end up with a two card combo that we accidentally put into modern in some fashion um so with karn in particular that that is a case though where that actually wasn't designed with seven men in mind because at the time karn came out before modern even existed and there wasn't anything close to kind of urzatron deck that would power that out anywhere in standard so that wasn't really a thing that was thought about turns out just seven mana was the cost that was chosen and bam that's a pretty good number when you've got the urzatron running around (laughs) um but i do know uh, to kind of riff off that a little bit, when we were working on Ugin from Fate Reforged, that was something that we kept in mind. Because by that point, the deck existed, and we're like, okay, well, do we want to just give it another card at the same mana cost uh, as Karn? Well, no, we'll give it an 8-drop instead, and it'll be a little harder to play. And you see some Ugin show up in modern Tron decks sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for us to know about interaction if it's not actively being used or not something people have talked about. Unless it's like a straight up two card combo that wins you the game, but 
with Urzatron now, we're very conscious about any big mana uh, artifacts or colorless spells that we make for that exact reason. Mm. And I'm sure that kind of bleeds over into other things. Uh, awesome. Uh, yeah, something we talk a lot about at Wizards is restricting your design space. And I'll give you a really classic example of this, which is Isochron Scepter. So Isochron Scepter mm-hmm. is this artifact, two mana to play. When it comes into play, you imprint an instant that costs two or less on it. And then every turn you can cast that instant. So when you make Isochron Scepter, you're, you're saying that every two mana card that exists in a format with Isochron Scepter, you have to worry about being imprinted on Isochron Scepter so you can use it later on. So if we wanted to make... I mean, not that we would ever make this, but as a really bad example, if we wanted to make a two-mana time walk that had some huge drawback on it, like you don't draw a card on your next turn or something, well, then you could just go infinite with this scepter. So we have to keep that in mind for every card that we make. Now multiply that by every card we make and all the weird rares we make interacting with other things, and suddenly you run into who knows what kind of trouble. So there's a, a lot to keep in mind there. And we try not to restrict ourselves too much if we can avoid it. It's more fun to make cards that we don't have to worry about. Okay, well, if we ever print a creature that untaps, suddenly Splinter Twins is just going to go infinite. You know, that that kind of thing. Right. I I know players talk about this pretty frequently. About there are certain cards, especially in Legacy, that only get better with time. Um, like Show and Tell is an example. Show and Tell is gets better every time a better permanent gets printed. Um, so it's just like, eventually it's just going to get to the point where show and tell is as powerful as whatever the most powerful thing in the format is. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's sometimes that's more fun than others. You know, there's a lot of cards where them getting more powerful over time is kind of cool. Um, a way that I enjoyed this personally, although it was probably a little too strong, was Birthing Pod or cards of that ilk, Survival of the Fittest, where the more creatures that come out, the more tools you get for your toolbox. And I personally find that pretty fun. It was a little too strong for their respective formats, which is why Survival is banned in Legacy and Birthing Pod is banned in, in Modern. But there, yeah, there are also things like Ice Crown Scepter or what have you, where it's you have to be really concerned about the kind of stuff you can put on it. And there's a very narrow line to walk there. On the flip side, often those cards are really fun too, so you want to make sure that people can still have they're fun and it's yeah game design is hard i mean if you guys want to break isochron scepter i'm okay with that because that's a pet card of mine that <laughs> does not get enough love <laughs> do you remember the no stick deck oh it? yeah that's that's why i love isochron scepter is like when i was first starting to get into format orem's chant isochron scepter was my bay <laughs> do you know what the card panoptic mirror does uh no you're gonna have to remind me on that one so Panoptic Mirror is a 5-mana artifact from Darksteel, and it says X, tap, imprint an instant or sorcery from your hand with converted mana cost X on Panoptic Mirror, and then every upcape, you just cast it uh, for free. So I thought I was so clever, because I would like put a time warp on that and just take all the turns for the rest of the game. But uh, <laughs> if, you wanna, if you want something to, something to truly brew with, there's a pretty wild one for you. It's like Ice Ground Scepter, but you can put whatever you want on it. Much bigger, (laughs) much bigger. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, Marcus, Marcus Dom wants to know, how did the unsets come about? I know Maro's talked a bit about this, but could you kind of give us a little bit of the backstory? Yeah, well, so, I mean, I wasn't here, what, in in 1997, I think, which is when the first one came out. I was seven years old. So I I started this thing early. You were a junior designer. But yeah, I was I was a junior designer, designer back then. Um, I started playing four years later, for reference. 
with that said, I, so there are a couple goals at the time. First of all, Magic, when the first Unset came out, Magic was still relatively new, and they wanted to see what, what could be done. And a lot of jokes had happened, and it was like, okay, what if we made a more casual, more, more jokey set? So that was one thing of why the first Unset came about. And then secondly, and this is still true to today, all the way through with Unstable, is they make for great testing grounds for future things we want to do. We can try them out here, and if they don't work, and they're too goofy, no problem. We're kind of pushing the boundary a little bit. But a few things get picked up and actually do get used. And the number of things we've picked up from unsets for our normal mainline sets is tremendous. Oh, yeah. Full Art Lands being an excellent example of one that now people love and Mm -hmm. first showed up in an unset. But all kinds of other things, too. I don't know if you guys know, but in Unglued 2, originally that's where split cards were from. And split cards were, were taken to go put in Invasion at the time. So there's all kinds of great ideas over the years that have come out of unsets. And... Unstable is another shot at that. We tried out a bunch of crazy stuff. Some of it's going to work. Some of it's not going to work. But I wouldn't be surprised if you see something like an extra deck or host augment or, or you know, dice rolling or who knows what showing up in Magic in the next 10 years after we see how it does in Unstable. Uh, I just want to say I personally love uh, Last Strike and Triple Strike. I feel those are probably the most ripe to uh, make the jump. You know, we actually tried putting a card with Triple Strike in Ixalan. A oh, dinosaur. really? It was a Triceratops, which is perfect, right? Oh, oh perfect. that's so cool. <laughs> a Triceratops with Triple Strike for Ixalan. Um, but it was like, well, Triple Strike. Uh, and then we tried writing out to Triple Strike as it deals you know, extra damage, and it became this huge mess of words that basically just meant Triple Strike. So we, we cut it and decided to put it in Unstable because that would be where we could just write Triple Strike on a card, and that would be more fun. But, yeah, it's the kind of thing where if it turns out well, that could easily go into a set. Same for Last Strike. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited to see people play with Unstable and get hear their reactions. As we record this, Unstable goes on sale tomorrow. So we'll very soon be getting all kinds of data back in from people and figuring out what they like, what they don't like, and what we should be doing with the future of Magic. I know. My, yeah, so my booster box remember, is waiting for me. I can't wait. <laughs> I remember um, I remember as a kid. What did you say? Uh, so Unglued came out in 1997? It's 97 or 98. I, I can't okay. remember. So that was right around this time I started playing Magic, because I remember I started playing Magic right around Tempest. Um, and I, I remember going to the store and getting three packs of, of Unglued and not knowing what they were. But I I got the sense that they weren't for like tournament play. And I remember opening up the, the booster packs and thinking, what are these cards? <laughs> what are these cards? <laughs> they were so unlike anything I had seen. Um, but my, the point of my story is that I never got to really play any of the unglued cards i just kind of bought them and then they just sat there so i'm really excited to be able to to draft unstable and, and check it out and get the feeling for an unset i'm pretty excited for yeah that. Uh, 1998 by the way august 11th okay. 1998 okay so yeah that was about a year after i started playing okay uh, also don't look it up listeners at home you can play along too how many cards do you think were in unglued in unglued in unglued uh, how many cards were in unglued including everything I'm going to go with 196. See, I was thinking 189, and I don't know why. Well, good guess is, is it both. Pu- is it more than that? Is it like a core set, like 300 cards? <laughs> good guess is both of you, but you are more than half over. The set size is only 94 cards. Can you believe it? What? Under really? 100 cards in the whole set, and that's including the five basic lands and the six tokens. There are so few cards in this set. Wow. <laughs> There's only 83 no silver-bordered cards. I had no idea. Yeah, me neither. And I, I work at Wizards, so you know, <laughs> don't feel too bad if you miss that. But in your head, it's like this huge monolithic thing that, that we made tons and tons of, right? But no, it's actually very limited, very small. And it was truly because we were testing things out for the first time. Um, oh, wow. I remember when I when I was a kid, 
not that I'm not still a kid, but when it, when I was younger than I am currently, before the senior days, which I have it now, <laughs> there's these around. these things called the magic encyclopedias. Now, did mm-hmm. you, any of you guys have these? I I don't have any of them, but I remember them. So there were these l- books that were maybe like magazine sized or so, but they were sold mm-hmm. in bookstores like Barnes and Noble or what what have you, and each one contained three years worth of uh, magic cards. So you could read through the whole spoiler for uh, Tempest, or sorry, not three years, a whole block's worth of magic cards, three sets worth of magic cards. So you read through the whole spoiler for Tempest block, for example, and just see all the cards, because this was before Gatherer existed, so this was kind of the way that you find out what a lot of the cards were, at least if you were me. And I, I got all of them, like every single, like Alpha, right, uh, right out of the gates, Tempest, Urza block, the, the whole shebang. And I, they were some of the most read books in my room, and I was an avid reader. Like I would read things, these things over and over again, trying to memorize cards. Long after I was supposed to be asleep, I'd you know put up my covers and <laughs> read by a flashlight, trying to memorize magic cards, which really paid off, I guess. And um, those vocab cards. <laughs> yeah. Every time I meet somebody new, by the way, I feel like I have this hard choice: do I want to f- remember their name or remember two magic cards? So I can I, I can only do one. <laughs> So either I forget, like, you know, two Mirage Commons, or I remember your name is Derek, and, and either way, right? You've Sometimes already... Like, <laughs> Becky caused some... you to forget most of uh, Homelands. Yeah, right, right. Some sets are easier to give up than others. Um, but anyway, so, but, but so I had all these magic encyclopedias. The one, though, that wasn't in an encyclopedia was Unglued, and it was like this magical secret thing you couldn't find the spoiler anywhere and and you just would see a card here and there and you would try using i don't know ask jeeves or whatever search engine existed back then (laughs) and like trying to find unglued cards but you just found like images of cracked eggs it was like a big hunt anyway i remember when i finally saw the full spoiler for the first time i was amazed i thought it was really cool yeah Um, and it, it captured my imagination and i'm really excited that i got to be part of Unstable, which has been, been worked on, by the way. I got to Wizards over six years ago, and it was being worked on when I got here. It's been six years wow. in the making, so this is quite the adventure. Wow. I'm super happy because I have when I around when I first started playing is when Unhinged came out, and I have been waiting for a third unset since then. So this this is like bringing it full circle for me. I th- I I'd also want to say I love the uh, you guys brought back uh, multiple art variants. And oh multi- yeah, like uh, oh that's super cool. That was my favorite part about some of the older cards. Like him to Torak has like five different arts uh, printed in within like the first couple sets. Um, yeah, and that's another thing. That if players like it, maybe maybe we'll we'll do it again. You know, it's a it's all a testing ground, really. Yeah, I know. And I you can have to- some fun too, and make make some goofy magic cards, which is nice. Exactly. I know I need to get the uh, the Four Seasons zombie with Last Strike, extremely slow zombie. Yeah. Uh, gotta gotta love the season arts. When I got to Wizards, one of the first things I did, so we've got a, a database back then, it was called Multiverse, that contains all the information on cards, all the comments ever, and there's a lot of great comments in there. You know, like one of the first things I did, for example, was look up Goblin Game. Do you guys know this card? Oh, yeah. yeah That's so- the, um, uh, is that from Plane Shift? Plane shift where the where the game text begins hide any number of objects. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Not an unglued card. This is a totally normal magic card. <laughs> I remember I looked up the dev comments on it, and there's only one comment. Okay, only one person ever left a note on this, and it was exactly one word. And the comment on Goblin Game was simply wacky exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. That's all anyone ever had to say about that card. 
Um, Print it. <laughs> no problem. It'll be fine. And then, then of course, you look, look at the broken cards, and you, you know, you go and find Time Spiral or whatever. And the developer comment is like, "Well, Ancestral Memories is like a four mana card, and we've been charging like two mana for the free spell mechanic. So six sounds about right for this." And first of all, if you think for two seconds, you realize that charging more mana for a free spell doesn't necessarily make it weaker. But that's besides the point. It's still a free time spiral. <laughs> right. um, it, but anyway, the important part is, all that aside, the thing that I wanted to see the most when I got there was not the dev comments or, or the, the, those kind of secrets. I wanted to go and see the artwork that never made it out. And mm. if you're not familiar with the history of Unglued, so after Unglued was made, they started working on Unglued 2. Now, Unglued 2 would never actually came out and would eventually morph into Unhinged, and a few things were saved. But the entire set was commissioned and ready to go. So there's all this artwork that still exists on our servers now that's really cool Unglued 2 artwork that never made it out anywhere. And there are some pretty fun pieces in there. Maybe someday we'll be able to show all those off to Oh, everybody. that's awesome. Cause but in I, the meantime, I'll just tantalize you all. Yeah, I, I don't know if uh, the Mothership still does it, but I remember going on and loving the articles where um, they would, like, have the artist sketches and like the artwork that never quite made it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That that would be an awesome like art book to have, like magic cards that never came to be. Um, there's uh, you know there's a whole section for that actually. So we have a I don't know if anyone's ever talked about this, but I'm I'm just gonna and uh, you know hopefully no one no one hates me for it later. <laughs> um, <laughs> here, here's a little, little leaving a legacy inside scoop that has nothing to do with legacy. Well, except in, in a literal sense maybe. So we have a folder of artwork that we call slush artwork. And what that means is basically any time that an art piece is removed from a set, it goes in here. And and sometimes it's it, it's just because you know we made, we're making a card and we had to change that card really late and the art no longer worked for it. And it just goes in this folder called slush. And there's all kinds of really good stuff in there. And every now and then we're able to you know get a piece in somewhere in a commander set, for example. A, a great. I'll give you one example of this is the card Flamekin Village. If you guys are familiar mm-hmm. with Flamekin Village, mm-hmm. um, it's this weirdo elemental land from a commander set that gives a creature haste and comes into play tapped if you don't reveal an elemental from your hand. That was a piece that we commissioned back in Lorwyn, and it came out I don't know six years later, seven years later, mm-hmm. something in in this commander set. And um, but anyway, so we've had this whole folder of really cool artwork that we try and fit in wherever we can. But when we're going from world to world, usually it doesn't work because hey, we have to stick to a. If you're on Ixalan, you have to make the card look like it's on Ixalan, not like it's on Ravnica. Right. Right. Um, right. But we try and sneak it in here and there. But it's a really cool folder, and one of the great things that I mean, I love doing is just you know riffling through and seeing, wow, this piece is really good. I hope we can use it someday. And that's another place where it'd be fun to do an article on that sometime, maybe. Yeah, that would be awesome. So, so now I think all I've done in the past six minutes is tell the audience about things that they'll never be able to see. So I'm glad we spent <laughs> that time. Uh, we can edit in some oh, cackling. Oh, oh. Oh, those wizards, you know, spending their days looking at art I can't see and sticking around Tarmogoyf for an opulent life they must lead. You guys would just love this thing that we're making. We're probably never going to release it. It's going to, it's, it's, it's a, it's a me project. Yeah. Yeah. That's more true than you know. <laughs> All right. Dominic, Dominic Pomfrey wants to know, uh, does R&D or at Did least. Did you say Dominic Pomfrey? Yeah. You know him? He, Maybe, I uh, the, the name sounds really familiar. So if you if I if we met before, hello Dominic, it's great to talk with you again. And if we, we never met, hi Dominic, it's nice to meet you. It's it's like you're a lifelong friend. He, I mean, Dom, Dom is a great guy. He uh, he stayed with yeah, us for awesome. uh, Eternal Weekend, so he does have that uh, that persona of just friendliness. Yeah, we got some before. great we got some great Thai food in uh in Las Vegas with him. Well, I did at least. 
Jerry stayed home for Vegas. Uh, Dominic, Pat- I'm just gonna go. Ahead, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it, Dominic. You're you're a cool dude. Thanks for running in a <laughs> totally. question. Totally. <laughs> uh, he wants to know: Does R and D, or at least you, Gavin, uh, consider Young Peasy, aka Young Pyromancer, to be the red two drop in the pantheon of two drops? And if not, is it Eidolon? Well, it is certainly not Eidolon of the Great Revel because it breaks the two drop rule on many axes. For those of you playing at home, the quote unquote cycle of broken two drops, which is not a thing that we ever tried to do, by the way, is <laughs> are these two mana creatures that have a combination of three power and toughness, or I guess that's not true because of Tarmogoyf. But anyway, they, they have one more power or toughness than they have of the other, whichever way you choose to look at it. And they are currently Dark Confidant, Stoneforge Mystic, Tarmogoyf, and th- that's all of them, right? Uh, well, Snapcaster Mage, I think. Oh, and Snapcaster Mage, yeah. right, right, right. So you might note 1-2, one, 2-1, two, two, one, two, one, star 1. Okay, now, if you look at Island on the Great Revel, that, that breaks a, a fundamental rule there. It's, uh, I don't know, it's got red, red in the mana cost. All the other ones are 1 and a color. And it has the the wrong power toughness ratio. So, so Idol on the Great Revel is just straight out. We can all, we can hopefully all agree it's not Idol on the Great Revel. Uh, young Pyromancer, sure, why not? Yeah, I think the reason why Young Pyromancer hasn't already just been accepted universally is because it's a uncommon, whereas all the right. others are rares. It was printed at uncommon, although honestly, it's at rare power level, so it could have easily been a rare. Mm-hmm. People. Uh, people talk to Rosewater all the time about this. He answers, I don't know, 600,000 questions on his Tumblr a day or something. And it's a it's a very popular question for him. The thing is, in R&D, we never actively tried to make this. I mean, it, uh, if you think about it, making a cycle of broken two drops is not really a thing we're in the market to do. You know, it's not like, yeah, finally, another card we're going to get to ban in standard. I'm glad we made that. Um, <laughs> but, but with that said, someday... I'm sure that we'll be making a card, and it'll be a rare, and it'll cost one and a red, and we'll be looking at it and be like, "This is it. This is the piece of of, of the cycle that people are asking for." We'll make it a two one instead of a two two to make to just check that box for people. Mm-hmm. Well, um, but uh, but for now, yeah, Young Pyromancer can fill that space. And honestly, Young Pyromancer is very strong. I mean, it's it's in the it's in the the uh, the pantheon in my heart, so it works for me. Awesome. Uh, Luke Murray, uh, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, Luke, Murray, Mir, 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 is it Mir? He's a, he's a one, one artifact creature token. <laughs> yes. Luke, one, one artifact creature token. Uh, I'm interested to know what R and D's thoughts were on doomsday when it was printed. I don't think you could answer that directly, but maybe, you know, some offhand knowledge. Uh, did they know it could win games or was it more or less just seeing what the magic community would do with it? Uh, my guess is that the line of thought when Doomsday was made is that there wasn't very much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, let, me, let, me, let me try that again. Um, Doomsday is a ridiculous magic card. Like if if you just read <laughs> the card, it doesn't take much to figure out that the card is just a silly card to ever make. As I often joke, Doomsday has a hundred percent win ratio. Either you cast it and one of you is going to win the game right away, basically. <laughs> that uh, is true. It's, it's, it is it's never game. really clear. It's never really clear who it is, but you know, sometimes <laughs> it just happens. Uh, I, I think last time I was on, I told the story about the time I played Doomsday in a tournament, right? Where um, I had never played Doomsday before, and I played Doomsday <laughs> yeah. Storm. Yep. Star City Open. That was, was it. Uh, Ari Lax gave you the deck. Yeah, Ari Lax <laughs> gave me the deck, and 
I just completely kicked a game away. Um, and then never uh, promptly decided to never Burning Wish for Doomsday again. So, but it's clearly a ridiculous magic card. And it's the kind of card we wouldn't make these days. So we like making these kind of Johnny or Jenny cards where you get to set up crazy fun combos and maybe if stuff works. But Doomsday is just like, if you play it, like either you're only playing it because you feel like losing the game, which which I, you probably aren't doing, or you're playing it because you have a one turn kill combo you're going to set up with the five cards in your library. I mean, if you think about it, it's simultaneously quad demonic tutor or quad vampiric tutor or something, and that just doesn't really engender the best kind of gameplay. It's a fun card to think about, at least in Legacy, but nothing great and great in a game design sense, ever really happens from Doomsday. Like, either you cast it and you play some silly combo and you win, or you cast it and you probably messed up, which is, <laughs> let's be real, probably what happened when you cast your Doomsday, and uh, and you lose. So, uh, not super fond of the card design of Doomsday, personally. Nice. Uh, Zach Turgon uh, says, you got hired for Overextended. Uh, he played the format, and he actually wrote for you on your site. That's right. Uh, name, what, name sounds familiar on this guy, and I definitely know why. Yeah, Zach's a, Zach's a local for us. Also a great guy. Yeah, he's great. Um, yeah, he's really fun. He, the inventor of Mog Stompy. <laughs> Always good. Uh, what was your favorite memory of Overextended? Yeah, so just to back up a little bit for all y'all at home, um, Overextended is a format that I created back before I started working at Wizards. This was before Modern existed, okay? So you got to roll the clock back a little bit. And basically, I identified the need for there to be a format between the two, between um, Standard and Legacy. And Extended existed at the time, but it wasn't very popular. And so I made Overextended, which was exactly Modern, but with a little different ban list, and it ran all the way back through Invasion. So cards like Factor Fiction were legal, for example. Um, so there are some different stuff. Moments Peace... Um, all that, all that kind of good stuff. You could play a, a storm deck with the um, sulfur vent style lands that were an invasion block, the sacrifice lands. Anyway, mm-hmm. I, my favorite. So I, the way I launched this thing is I wrote an article about it, and I had a position at Star City Games at the time, and I was a pretty well-read author. And so I basically used that as my platform to launch this whole thing. I had no idea how it was going to go. And it took off like gangbusters. Like Within a couple of weeks, I was running 100-plus tur- people tournaments on Magic Online. I had a whole, whole website dedicated to it. It was huge. People really, really latched onto this and loved it, as evidenced now by how popular Modern is. But the thing that I think was really amazing to me, and probably the thing that resonates the most, is... I ran what was called National Overextended Day, or oh, sorry, Worldwide Overextended Day, where I got in touch with stores around the world, and we had, I don't know, 40, 50 plus stores, something like that, all run overextended tournaments that day around the globe. And that, to me, was so powerful. It was like, for a moment, I was I had created this thing, and I was Wizards. I was running the events, I was sending them information on it, they were sending their deck list back to me, and that was this just light bulb moment for me of, wow, I... I really did it. Like people are playing this thing and they're sending me information back and they're excited about this and there's real prizes on the line. This could be a real deal. And it's probably no coincidence that a couple of weeks after that, wizard said, Hey, we're going to pick up modern as a full-time format. So I, that was a huge moment for me and um, really, really quite a turning point. And I'm, I'm thrilled with how the whole thing went. I love the overextended project and I'm really glad that it was able to kickstart modern today. Awesome. Great story. 
Lincoln has a question. I don't know if it's in relation to magic or he's just trying to get to know you a little bit better, Gavin. You know Uh, what, Lincoln? (laughs) Sup, man. Let's (laughs) let's have a heart to heart chat here. here, Here's what here's what I do. I don't know what I don't know what this question is going to be, but this is dangerous. I'm just going to say it. I don't know what this question is going to be. But no matter what the question is, I'm going to give you an answer not related to magic. Okay, so we'll see. We'll see what the question is. If it's like, "What's your favorite card of all time?" This is going to be a hard, a hard, a hard story. But I'll see what I can do. No, it's easier than that. It might be followed up with, uh, "Do you like long walks on the beach?" But Lincoln wants to know what's your favorite color. Well, actually, like magic in real life, my favorite color is blue, sky blue specifically. I love the the blue sky, and. When I was growing up, I would always tell my parents that my favorite color was blue, and my brother's favorite color was red, so we had you know, a great little little spat there. <laughs> but then when I started playing Magic, because my favorite color was blue, I just naturally started playing blue. And I guess that's maybe why I'm such a blue player now, and he's such a red player, just because we arbitrarily chose our favorite colors when we were seven years old. But here's a fun fact for you, by the way, listeners at home, and Lincoln, is that blue is the favorite color among all all colors of America. If you look at it percentage-wise, blue is by far the most popular color. So I'm not very special in that that way. (laughs) I mean, blue is also my favorite color, but that's because I'm red-green colorblind, and I can actually tell blue apart. Like, if we ever play Risk, I have to be the blue army because I can't tell the other ones apart. (laughs) Do you guys know Jonathan Laux? Is that a name that means anything to you? Yeah, he was uh, with Limited Resources for a while, and he was also... Was he with the MTGO team? Yeah, he, yeah, he was on the. Yeah, totally. So he was on limited resources for a little while. He worked here at Wizards for a bit in R and D. Uh, before that, he was a writer and a Magic player in Seattle, and a, a good friend of mine. Now he's down in California, um, doing other things. But I was over at his apartment one day, and he's you know we're both about we're the same age, so we're both probably about twenty three, twenty four years old. And he's just browsing Reddit, and I'm playing some games with his roommate, Brian Wong, also of limited resources mm-hmm. fame. And and he says something about, like, I, I don't get the joke. And I'm like, John, what, what do you mean? And he's like, just come over here and look at the stupid joke someone made. And <laughs> and I'm like, okay, sure. So I go over to this to this computer, and he's on Reddit, and he's looking at some some shirt or whatever that's like a red green colorblind joke it's like oh if you can see this you're not colorblind or something dumb like that maybe you've all seen shirts like this yeah and john and john just like i don't get it like why is this shirt so popular and and brian and i look at each other and we're like john can you see that writing and he's like what writing and <laughs> and so the thing is me and brian have a bit of a trolling streak <laughs> as does john and we're all being extremely sincere in this situation, but we all think we're trolling the other person. <laughs> you know, or, or, or rather, like, John thinks we're trolling him by, by, not, by not admitting it, and we think John's trolling us by trying to get us to think that he's colorblind. But as it turns out, he had gone 24 years of his life and never realized he was colorblind. <laughs> I, I don't know how that's even possible. But John is a man of impossibilities, and he did it. So uh, hats uh, off to him. And now, now he knows, at least. Tro- trolling can be dangerous. I was recently on a road trip with friends, and we like stopped at a diner, and I like went up to use the restroom, and I came back, and my phone was gone. So I'm like, all right, who took my phone? Very funny. Give me my phone back. And they're like, no, we don't have it. So then we pay our bill. We get in the car, and we drive. And I'm like, all right, guys, who has my phone? Like, joke's over. 
And you check my text messages. It's like, oh, I don't have it. Very funny. And it turns out none of them actually took my phone. My phone was still at the diner an hour back down the highway. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so we had to drive back and get it. <laughs> wow, that's brutal. Yeah, be, be careful. I mean, I, I will say my personal least favorite part of trolling is when the sun comes up. <laughs> yes, yes, because then that, you turn to stone. That, that's a little bit of a fantasy humor for for, for all y'all out there, nerd. <laughs> uh, awesome. Uh, and Lincoln, he follows up his "What's your favorite color?" with a hard hitting question: What is your biggest mistake? Is this one I'm supposed to answer long walks on the beach for? Because <laughs> probably that. I mean, certainly. Um, no, biggest mistake in magic, in life, in in my MLB uh, 1999 game on the N64. Like, like what's up, man? Uh, I mean, you could take it how you want. You know, magic, life. I mean, we can get, like, real dark right now if you really want to. <laughs> oh, man. Biggest mistake. Um, it's also, like, is it a specific moment or, like, a thing that I just keep doing? Uh, jeez, this is a, this one is locked and loaded. I want to, I want to give a good poignant answer though. It's really important. We can circle back to it if you want. I tell you what, this is good. I'm going to have a good answer for you. I promise Lincoln at the end of the show, come back to this question and I will give you an answer and it'll be a great way to close things out on. Okay. Perfect. (laughs) You're just going to say gumming on this uh, podcast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I actually i think i have a really good answer but i just want to say it for the end all right all right uh pat you want to read some questions sure um <laughs> all right so let's see uh, our friend scott asks uh why did you kill off poor old kozilek what did he ever do to you <laughs> have you guys ever watched the play wicked I have. I took my mom to it for uh, Mother's Day one year. Yeah, Wicked, of course, tells tells the story of how that uh, the Wicked Witch of the West is actually good, and that she's you know been wronged, and that's why she's against the world. And it's a, it's a great play, an absolutely wonderful musical. I, I would highly recommend it. Excellent mm-hmm. staging. It is. And you you know what? Maybe maybe the old Drowsy are kind of like that, right? Just misunderstood. Like Kozlik shows up, <laughs> he's like, "Yo, y'all locked me up. I'm just doing my thing, like walking the world. What's up with that?" And, um, you know, maybe he is actually the good guy in the situation. We should all give him a moment of, of, moment of silence. R.I.P. Kozlik. You, you to <laughs> Eldrazi. Uh, for what it's worth, Scott is a big time. Uh, he loves, like, 12th post. So he loves he loves the Eldrazi. So it probably hit, hit a little too close to home for him. Well, you know, we, we, we trapped Emrakul in the moon, so anything is possible. That's true. They're, they're not all gone. Not completely. Can always um, come back. <laughs> it, it's like uh, Magneto and his chess game, but in a moon instead. Uh, our friend Rob asks, uh, do you miss playing competitive magic? Yes, absolutely. It is the hardest part, without a doubt. You, mean, you saw how quick I answered that, of working at Wizards. I love my job. Like Making magic is fantastic. I get to play magic. I get to think about the future of magic. I get to work with some of the best people in, in the industry. But as someone who is a pro tour player and who is a competitive person, there's this huge like, hole in my life that uh, not being able to play competitive magic doesn't. Uh, that, that sorry, there's a huge hole in my life that not being able to play competitive magic leaves behind. I will say, mm-hmm. what I discovered 
when I after like two weeks of working at Wizards is I suddenly had all this free time because all the time I had used to just spend playtesting magic I could go do other things with. So, you know, I mean, I've learned how to play some instruments, I did improv, I did public speaking, I've widened my social circle, like I started traveling more, all this stuff. Um, but nothing, as great as all those things are, and I'm sorry, friends, I love you, although if you're not a magic friend, you're probably not listening to this anyway. Uh, <laughs> the, the biggest hole is still that competitive magic play. And every time I go visit a Grand Prix or a Pro Tour or anything like that, all I want to do is sit down there and battle and you know, brew up some decks. I really so, do love that stuff. So kind of a corollary to this question, something I just kind of popped into my head. So for me, magic is, is my competitive outlet. Like I'm a very competitive person. And so, uh, when I couldn't do what I was doing prior, uh, competing as an athlete, I turned to magic as like my new competitive outlet. So have you found a place like, like was magic for you a competitive outlet or was it just the game that you really appreciated? And, and that's what you miss so much. Well, I think it's two things for me. One is that, it was a way to challenge myself. And when you think about magic, you get to challenge yourself with deck building all the time. You get to challenge yourself with what you're going to bring to a tournament. And really in every game, you're playing against somebody else, but you're also challenging yourself to play the best that you can that game and trying to improve. Um, you get into these kind of loops of how am I going to get better? How am I going to get better? And that's something I have found other places. You know, When I do public speaking, for example, that's something that I can work on and iterate on and level up on. And I go out there, I'm on a stage, and it's not that different from going out to a, to a tournament. right? Like You've spent weeks preparing for this. You you have your deck ready to go. You think you know what's going to happen, but sometimes unexpected things occur. You go up. You have external factors you have, you have to deal with. Um, maybe there's a big crowd. Maybe there's a small crowd. Maybe someone, someone is heckling you. Maybe someone's not paying attention. You have to make small tweaks on the fly. Like It all kind of factors in there a little bit. And really, playing tournament magic has helped train me for anything that I mm-hmm. do in, in that sense. I remember when I was in college and playing tournament magic at the same time. Like a lot of my friends would be like, "Oh my gosh!" Like a test, the pressure is on. Like I can't believe this, and I'd just be like, "I was playing in a feature match in a Grand Prix last week for thousands of dollars. This <laughs> test, whatever. Like, oh, I'm not worried about this at all." Oh, um, awesome. So, so from that angle, from the challenging yourself angle, I absolutely have. From the competitive nature of things, you know, I find it a little bit in board games. You know, I play board games or uh, video games with other people, but it's hard to find the same aspect of of magic because it is a game that I love so much. It's something that I could claim being, you know, reasonably good at where I haven't put in the 10,000, 20,000, hundred thousand hours on as many other things, but I, I love challenging myself. So I'm pretty content with just, you know, continuing to challenge myself and every now and then I'll get involved in a competitive thing. And when there are things that are competitive, you can expect me to want to try and win them. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, all right. Lincoln asks, do you listen to leaving legacy or other community podcasts? And uh, if so, how does that affect your design choices? Uh, I'm actually really interested in this because I just listen. I listened to uh, Justin Roiland, the correct uh, creator of Rick and Morty, speak, and he mm-hmm. actually answered a very similar question to this. So I, I'm really interested to hear your take on this, Gavin. Well, I mean, clearly, I only listen to Living a Legacy because it's the best magic podcast <laughs> out there. Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> I mean, is, is there any doubt about that? Uh, no. So the community is huge for magic. Oh, I think one of the greatest things we have is our community and the fact that so many people are creating so much content. And for me personally, Gavin the Human, the community is one of the things I value most about magic. There's this, these wonderful people around the world who are willing to talk with you and hang out with you and who have all the wonderful stories to tell. And I've been all around the world, and no matter where I go, I can always find magic players. It's like sort of 
the the secret D and D tavern, right? Where you go into a new town and you don't know anybody, and you go to this tavern and you meet people, and there's these quests for you. It's absolutely amazing. And also in designing the game, listen to what our community says is really important because we want to, want to be able to factor in what they say into what we do. Uh, you know, I was just talking about earlier about with Unstable how. We're going to think about future sets based on what you like and don't like from Unstable. Well, if we didn't have a community telling us things, we wouldn't be able to make that happen. So I absolutely consume a ton of magic content, whether it's reading articles, watching videos, listening to podcasts. Magic is a huge part of my life, and not just while I'm in the office. It's just a part of everything I do. It's, we don't, we're not really, we didn't grow up together. We grew up like entwined, you know, like we are kind of one and the same in a lot of ways. And, I, I try and entrench myself in as much magic stuff as I can to the point where I think about, and this is going to maybe, uh, may, I'm curious actually if other people think the same way about this kind of stuff because it could just be that I've been playing this game for too long, but I think about a lot of normal, average, everyday human situations in magic terms, right? Like I'll be like in the middle of a conversation be like, okay, who's the beatdown? Like, you know, like, who's talking a lot right now? Like, should I be nodding? Should I be the one starting to talk, right? Like, like conversation is just, it's just classic. It's aggro versus control. Who's the beatdown? I mean, just think about it. It really is. It is. Right? Like, it, it's just who's the beatdown. I don't um, know if that's a know. healthy way to think about human interaction, but it's true. <laughs> um, you know, when, when I'm thinking about planning out my day, I never want to get tempoed, right? I never want to get time walked. Like, how can I be the most efficient with my time? And I, and I do all these really uh, idiosyncratic things to maximize how my time is being used. Like, for example, here, here's a really simple example, okay? If I'm at a restaurant and someone has to use the bathroom, the best time to use the bathroom before we leave is after they put down their credit card to pay for the check, but before they get their credit card back. Because that's just like a dead time. Nothing's happening then, right? Like if, if you go to the bathroom after you paid, well, then everyone's holding up for you. But if you go to the bathroom before you pay, then you're not going to be able to put your credit card in when they come back. So it's like that perfect little window where you've given them your card. They're going to go you know, ring you up. You go to the bathroom. You come back. Your card isn't back yet. You, you know, you've been so efficient with your time. And for better or worse, that's the kind of thing that um, magic has. <laughs> Uh, condition me for to maximize my resources i promise you i'm normal that's awesome <laughs> um what about the part uh does it ever affect your design choices uh you know reading up about the community decisions or community oh, opinions without a doubt i mean if you think about it historically most of our abandoned and restricted decisions have been driven by what's happening out in the world mm. and out in the community because at the end of the day What's happening at the highest level of tournament play is really, really, really important. Um, but equally as important is the perception of what's happening at the highest level, level of tournament play. So I'll just I'll give you an example. I'm not saying this is what actually happened. I wasn't working here at the time, but I'll just give you an example. So uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor, who banned that guy in Standard, at the time, everyone was calling for its head. Everyone wanted Jace banned. They thought Jace was the problem. Jace was the issue. Jace was the big boogeyman here. Now, I, as a Cobblade player who was playing a lot at the time, could definitely tell you that the the more problematic card, by far, not close, was Stoneforge Mystic. I would be way more disheartened to lose my Stoneforge Mystics than my Jaces. But, mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, they're were, they were both banned, but banning Jace was partially important because that's what people viewed as the problem with the format. And um, I'm not saying that that's what, ha- what happens every single time, or even that's what happened in this case because I wasn't here, but listening to community feedback is really important for making these kind of decisions because we want to make the decision that is best for the players of the game, and, well, the community, those are the players of the game. So, absolutely. Awesome. Uh, kind of following it up, Rob has a question. Uh, 
you know, is it hard for the design teams to stay positive when there's a very vocal uh, mino- uh, minority of the community that is just forever ungrateful for uh, what Watsy <laughs> does? Because I, I think you guys get you guys do not get enough credit for the hard work you put into it. And I think, you know, the naysayers are always going to be louder than the people, you know, giving you a pat on the back. Well, I got to say, while there are plenty of naysayers out there. There's also tons of people who give us positive feedback, who let us know what they like and tell us what they enjoy. And, and that helps balance out everything else. Because traditionally, if you just look at, at how the numbers work, normally a lot more people will tell you they don't like something than they do like something, even if way more people like something. Because you know, you're just hearing from that vocal minority in, in almost every situation. Because if you like something, you're not really inclined to be like, oh. Yeah, I better go tell the person that I like this. But if you're really angry about something, you want to be like, hey, I don't like this. Please change this. <laughs> so, you, right. you know, you kind of get, get used to that cycle a little bit. Um, but, you know, I think we all have developed an ability to understand what – kind of get at the point of what people are saying. Because if people are mm-hmm. mad about something, normally there is a reason why. And so identifying what the right reason is. It could be what they're saying. It could be something else behind that. And we might agree or disagree, but it's important we take it all back um, or that we take it all back and make a new decision based on it. I would say that I would generally way rather have a bunch of people telling us what they don't like and what they want us to change than no one telling us anything at all. Because it's good to know about how to fix your game and what's going wrong with it and what tweaks to make in the future. It's far more problematic to not know anything you did good or bad worked. Um, so, yeah, although our critics... It can be rough to deal, deal with uh, some of the stuff they put out sometimes. It is important, I think, for the growth of the game and keeping us in check, too, so we don't get a lofty little swelled hell, heads over here. We're like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, okay, we still can do this better for, for some people. Yeah, cr- constructive feedback, even if it's not <laughs> even if it's not delivered uh, as being constructive, is always kind of difficult to stomach, especially when I imagine you guys put so much effort, so much of your time and blood, sweat, and tears into the, into the products you guys do. So I can imagine it can be tough to digest sometimes, but uh, being open to it and, and trying to learn from it is, is obviously one of the reasons why you guys are so successful. Yeah, and I think you know any designer out there, any aspiring designer out there that's listening, know that you should listen to everybody. And then trust your instincts to make the right decision based on it. And you're going to get positive feedback and negative feedback. And that's okay. Just take that all into account. And you can't make everybody happy with every decision you make. So what's the best decision for the thing that you're making at this time? Whether you're making a house or a card game, it applies either way. Oh, man, I think that's that's such good advice. You know, hear the criticisms, but in the end, go with your gut. Go with what you think is right. There's this quote from um, Mark Rosewater that I really, really like. And the quote is, when someone tells you something is wrong with with your game, they're almost always correct. Mm-hmm. But when they tell you why it's wrong, they're usually incorrect. And so, <laughs> so when someone gives you feedback of, hey, I didn't like this, what's important is that you take that back and you're like, okay – there's a, there's a thing that, that they that they didn't like. They give you a suggestion on how to fix it. That 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 fix something might not be correct. But how can I address the core thing that they don't like? And we do that all the time with magic, without a doubt. Okay, oh, yeah, that's really that's really good. Um, all right, here's another good one from Richard. Uh, what's your funniest bad beat? Do you have a funniest bad beat story? Like when everything went wrong in just the right way for it to be humorous? Oh yeah, Whew, I could. I have so many of these. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll I'll tell you one one bad beat story. Um, this is one that I've told a number of times and just always kind of comes to mind for me. And that is 
I am in a PTQ and I show up to the PTQ in the morning of the tournament and I don't know how you guys are if you've ever played in PTQs, um, but I didn't have all the cards I needed for my deck. It's like a a classic Mm -hmm. Magic Player thing, right? You show up and you still need cards for your deck. (laughs) Yep. And um, so I show up and I'm trying to get get cards for my Affinity deck together. I'm playing an Extended at the time and I'm a few cards short, so I'm running around trying to get them. And one of my friends runs up to me He's like, hey, Gavin, I'm trying to build uh, Goblin Bidding. He's also looking for cards. Do you have any Bloodstained Myers I can borrow? And I'm, like, pretty sure that I do, but I don't really want, but I'm too busy running around to find these uh, uh, stuff for Affinity. I'm like, I don't have time. Uh, what do I have that's on the top of my bag here? Oh, here's a Graven Cairns, the, blue, the red-black filter land. So I give, mm-hmm. it, I give him the Graven Cairns, and I'm like, Ho- hopefully find a Bluted Meyer, or, Blue- or sorry, Hopefully, hopefully find a Bloodstained Mire, but I'm too busy right now. I can't take care of right. this, right? Okay, so flash forward about 12 hours. We're in the finals of the tournament, and it's me versus him. Okay, we've both made the... The odds are crazy, but we, but we both made the finals of the PTQ. We played mm-hmm. through eight rounds or whatever it was, made it all the way there. And it's game three of the finals. And the winner of this game is going to win the PTQ slot and go to the Pro Tour. And the loser is going to collect a booster box and go home a little sad. All right. And everything's going great. I've got my affinity. I sideboarded in engineered plague, but I didn't draw out this game, but it's okay. I got my affinity engine rolling and I've got like some mirror enforcers in play and a ravager. It's all looking good. He's, he, you know, I've killed off his first few goblins, made some favorable trades and it's perfect. His board state is like mountain, 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 mountain. He, he can't, it's going to be just fine. He's got one card left in his hand. I've got him basically dead next turn. And he draws for the turn, and he just looks at me. And in that moment, I know exactly what's about to happen. <laughs> and he snaps down Graven Cairns and uses Mountain, Mountain, Mountain Graven Cairns to get the two black mana he needs to cast Patriarch's Bidding to get back all of his goblins and win the game. Oh, no. And if I had just taken the three extra minutes or whatever it would have been, just find him his Bloodstained Mire. I would have totally been fine. I would have won the finals of this PTQ. But because I uh, was, was, I don't know, mean or lazy or, or just too preoccupied with myself and a little selfish, I ended up losing. So let this be a story to you all. Value your friends and help them out because you might end up losing the finals of PTQ to a Graven Cairns, which no one played in their Goblins deck. Uh, but happened this time. That is brutal. Yeah, so that, there's a there's a rough beat for you. But to be fair, yeah. it is it is self inflicted. It's got a good got a good moral story behind it. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, Anthony asks. Uh, this is kind of a personal preference one. What plane or storyline do you feel wizards should revisit? Or maybe let's rephrase it as what plane or storyline would you personally really like to revisit, Gavin? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I help control what we revisit, so that's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, I'll say that I personally. Gavin the human really enjoyed the story of Tarkir block. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a huge time travel fan. And so that mm-hmm. whole thing got me really excited, like alternate futures and pasts and societies, like recovering things from a long era long ago. That was super, super exciting to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe someday we'll, we'll end up seeing that again. I will, I, I would have said previously that it would be Dominaria, but Hey, we're, we're going oh, back there in a few months. So stay tuned. I'm still, I'm still can't wait to see that set. Cannot wait. Getting to work on the design team for that set. Let me tell you, was a complete and absolute pleasure. So I think that's amazing. If you are a fan of Dominaria, Aria, I think you will absolutely love the set that we made for you. Oh, 
Can't wait. When it comes out, we'll have to have you back on. We can talk about the new set. Oh, man, there are so many things I would love to tell the stories of. So just just hold on a little bit longer, everybody. It's coming. <laughs> um, all right. Our friend Scott asks – and this is actually something that I've heard um, other people ask, so I'll be interested to hear your take on it. Um, but why isn't dice rolling a blackboard thing yet? Like why don't we roll more D6s in Magic games? Yeah. Well, you know, that's one of the things that we're trying out with Unstable a little bit, right? How do people react to it? But traditionally, mm-hmm. you know – well, let me look at another way of, of this in Magic, which is coin flipping. Coin flipping cards are very polarizing. There's a small segment of the audience that really, 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 really likes coin flipping cards, but most people don't enjoy them. And that's because mm-hmm. of the perceived variance that comes along with it. You flip, you flip a bunch of coins, and what seems to happen is something a little, uh, you know, a little random. Okay? Um, dice is interesting because actually the more dice you roll, the less random it is, right? If I play sure. a, a card that rolls one dice, well, that can be a little random. But if I roll 12 dice, it actually starts to equalize a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the odds start growing in my favor. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how that goes over an unstable. But I think in general, the perceived um, variance from rolling dice is not a thing that a lot of players like. And especially, to be fair, it is kind of a bad look if you have that in the you know the finals of a pro tour and the entire game is decided by a dice roll. That's not a great look for Magic. So. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I guess so. But, like... I, I know, I N- Nassi versus Chapin, right? Yes, <laughs> you got it, man. That was, like, one of the coolest finals I've ever seen. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I totally, I hear what you're saying. It, it, having having a game like that, a, such a critical game, come down to something that's completely out of your control uh, can certainly have a feel bad, especially for people who are ultra spiky or who put their, who that's their profession, right? That's, like, their livelihood is, is these are these games. So I can see that being a little bit of a feel bad for some people. Yeah, and once again, we're trying out an unstable, and if we get really positive feedback on it there and people seem to like it, then maybe we'll move it into Blackboard or Magic. But right now we're just kind of waiting, seeing what people say, and then going from there. Yeah, I love the idea of the of the unset being a, a testing ground for some of these wackier or more funky mechanics. Um, I think it's really neat. Um, all right, uh, we got one last question here, and this is something that you personally had on your personal Facebook. Uh, it, w- it was a series that I found extremely interesting. Um, although I didn't participate, I got a chance to read a lot of them, and, and it got me thinking on some of the stuff. Um, but where did you get the idea for Qvember? Totally. So for everyone listening back home who isn't my friend on Facebook, first of all, you're all welcome to add me. If you're listening to the show, you're probably a cool person, and I'm more than happy to be your Facebook friend. And part of the cool thing, one of the perks you get for being my friend, besides you know getting to say you're friends with me, which is pretty sweet, i got to say, <laughs> is that um, I run these Facebook games. And uh, there's a few that I run each year that are pretty popular. And in no- every November for the past four years, I've run this thing called Qvember. And the way this works is each day in November, I post some kind of thought-provoking question and have people answer it. And they get pretty popular. I mean, you know, for some of them, I have three to 400-plus comments on them. So a lot of people are responding to these and chatting and getting to know each other. And um, I really enjoy some of the questions. They can range from everything from, you know, what's the best 10 seconds of a song, you know, something kind of light and fun like that, or, or what's a habit people have that annoy you, all the way through, okay, the world's about to end, um, you have to choose uh, which planet to go to from this list of six planets with that have like long details written out, or here's the profiles of 10 people who do you think is most likely to win Survivor, right? So there's a very wild mix, and I write these questions all year long, um, 
because it's grown such to be a big thing. I originally started it for two reasons. One is that I've always loved these kind of theoretical questions. I've asked my friends them for years, and I was like, well, what if I ask more people on Facebook? And the second is something that I love is, once again, goes back to that community. There's so many great people in my life, and one of the great things that I've always wanted to do and just isn't possible for physics is getting them all in the same place at the same time and facebook is kind of like a way of doing that and it's really cool to post up these questions each day and have people from totally different areas of my life like a friend of mine a family friend from london and a magic player and someone i did improv with or whoever like all chat about this thing together and um Mm -hmm. you know try and come up with with good answers which is fascinating to me so that's kind of how it started and it's just yeah it, it totally blew up when i started doing it and i've done it for the past four years and I, I absolutely love these kind of theoretical questions. So, you know, like I'll, I'll give you an example, a magic themed one. This is not one that I asked in Cuvember, but often I think of good magic ones and I'll ask them on Twitter sometimes, which was you get to play um, a mere match of any deck for the fate of the world. Okay. Oh, I saw you, this you, one. You, you, this was I asked this maybe a couple years ago, maybe. But you, what 75 card mere match do you pick? Right. And it's just stuff like that, which is fun to think about. So, yeah, I absolutely love doing it, and I encourage anyone else to try and use Facebook in this way because a lot of people, I think, use Facebook as a way to just yell, you know, talk outwardly, yell, and just be like, hey, here's what I think, here's my opinion, I have thoughts, let me tell you what's going on. But I really enjoy using Facebook as a platform for letting people speak in and talk with each other and creating this kind of fun, collaborative discussion. So nothing stopping you from doing something like this, too. Awesome. Nice. So what what deck would you play in a mirror match for the fate of the world? I would probably pick fairies. Fairies or a Cobblade, one of those two. <laughs> I would choose Sneak and Show because coin flip for the of course you would. For the fate <laughs> of the world. Well, or Earth, you got a, about a 50% chance. <laughs> it's, it's nice knowing you, everybody. I, I think you know who the true ballers are, are the ones who chose Belcher. <laughs> yeah, Belcher is the real coin flip match. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's, or you could, you know, pick some, like, a classic control deck would be pretty fun, like Mono Blue Control or something, um, where you could probably outplay whatever Alien is trying to get to know. Another, here's, here's, here's another fun one, okay? There's a, ma- a really unusual Magic tournament coming up, okay? Let's say it's Legacy. There's a big Legacy tournament coming up that you have to prepare for. But here's the twist. Instead of you playing in this tournament, you can pick any figure from history who has never played Magic... And they get a week to prepare, and they play in this tournament for you. Who do you think would do the best? Mm, that's a good one. Uh, do we choose the deck for them, too? Um, sure. Let's say yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, I would choose Genghis Khan, and I would give him burn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Who would I pick for this? Right, there, you know, I'd have to think of, yeah, I'd have to think of the most... The person who understands math the best. I think that's like the the, the critical thing. Maybe uh, Albert Einstein could play Storm for me. Yeah, I was about to say Einstein was a really popular pick. And then you had, you know, the <laughs> thing I love about these kind of questions is, is they start off with the obvious, quote-unquote, obvious answers. Oh, Einstein, Lincoln, Edison, whatever, right? And then you yeah. start getting people like, okay, well, what if we took the best Go player ever and taught him how to play Magic, right? right or right. what if we found, like, Sun Tzu or something, right? And you, you, know, you start getting these deeper answers, and then you get mm-hmm. into some, you know, the weird corner case. And it's just fun to see the whole kind of thing unfold in front of you. So uh, if you ever want uh, weird Magic theoretical questions, just tweet at me, and I can tweet one back at you. I like it. That's <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, well, we do have one last question we wanted to circle back to, and that was your, your biggest mistake that you've ever made. Okay. And you can, you can frame this however you wish. 
So, yeah, I mean, I could tell you about any number of magic mistakes or design mistakes or whatever. I'm sorry about, I'm sorry about Reflector Mage, everybody. But um, <laughs> I thought it was fine. <laughs> but instead, I'm going to say something a little different, which is I think one of the biggest mistakes that I make, still make sometimes, and spend a lot of time when I was younger making, and I see other people make too, and um, I kind of want to relay out there, is realizing that not everybody else is the same as you and not everyone else has had the same experiences and knows the same things as you. If you think about it, every person is different. Like literally every single human you ever meet has their own story of how they got to where they are at that very moment. Like they've had their own hardships. They've had their own triumphs. They have their own beliefs, their own lives. Uh, the, the food they like is different. Like everything, every person is different. And as humans, what we naturally do when we think about a situation is we layer ourselves onto that person. Like, okay, well, what, if I ask what would Jerry do? Well, kind of what I'm thinking is, well, what would I do in this situation? And in a lot of conversations and a lot of times where arguments come up, it's really important to truly and honestly put yourself into the other person's mindset and think about what are they thinking here? Why would they do the thing that, 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 that they did? And just grow to understand them a little bit. It's so easy to put people down because they're not like you. But just because they're not like you doesn't mean that they're any worse than you. And um, I just think that's really easy to forget about. And a mistake that I've made many times in my past. And I, I hope that everyone tries to stay conscious of. Awesome. That is awesome. That, that's what I normally say to a, a thing like that. It's yeah. like, yeah, that's, that, that, <laughs> that is perfectly. awesome. No problem. <laughs> no, in, in, all, in all seriousness. If you had a microphone to drop, you would drop it. <laughs> yeah, it's a stupid headset. Dropping this requires putting my head on the floor, and that's like some unstable level nonsense there. So. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm disappointed uh, Enter the Dungeon didn't get like a level two. <laughs> well, you know, you got um, the countdown is at one, which is, uh, you know, yeah. in the same vein. There we little go. Sub gamey. Little sub gamey. Oh yeah. Sweet. That's okay. that's all the questions, Pat. So that's all the questions. It's over I so guess soon. we can get into I know. I guess we can get into uh into some scoops into top eight before we get out of here. Uh, you, so you guys Gavin, have any you know, questions or uh, you feel like the listeners covered it pretty well? I, I don't I don't really think I I mean I I really like having the listeners ask the questions. I don't think I have a lot of questions. I, I also um, just I butt in with my own questions whenever I felt like it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm a child. <laughs> um, something, well, something, thinking about the other person. Something, something. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's really important is you need to think about my needs here. <laughs> right. What, what, what does the podcast need, Gavin? <laughs> Um, all right. Well, I would like to find out uh, if listeners want to get a hold of you. Wait, I do have a question. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's odd. There it is, Jerry. <laughs> it just came into my head. I have it. Gavin, what's your favorite card from Unstable? Oh, yeah. It's it's really, really hard to choose for me because there's so many wonderful cards. But the one that I think I enjoy the most is probably Kind Slaver. Mm. Which is the mind slaver where someone outside the game takes the turn because yeah. you just never know what's going to happen, right? You, just, <laughs> you, you you activate it and you're like, I don't know, I'm just going to get. If you want, if you want a, a thrill, if you want like a heart pumping, adrenaline creating activity, get someone who you've never met to play your opponent's turn for you. Like there, there's no predisposition between you guys. Just like they come in, they sit down, they don't know you at all. You don't know if there's a great player, a weak player, whatever. They sit down and you just see what happens. I think that's fascinating. 
That's awesome. I, I'm excited to, to build a commander deck that puts you into like a kind of slaver lock, just to see like <laughs> what, what does that even mean? Like, uh, okay, yeah, we, 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 we've all seen Mind Slaver Academy ruins, but what happens when you have like seven different people play out seven different turns in a row? You know, <laughs> sounds like good clean magic right there. That does. Uh, Follow up question: uh, What's your favorite card uh, for uh, Domeria? <laughs> I love Island. I don't know how you guys feel about Islands. <laughs> ah, I, was... I've always loved. I've always loved Blue. So <laughs> it was worth a shot. It was worth a shot. <laughs> here, here first. Dominari has Islands. <laughs> who knew? Who knew? <laughs> well, you know, with the state of Dominaria, who, who really who does know? But uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and sneak that one in there. Oh man. <laughs> People are going to be going back and like parsing out the the nanoseconds of the frames, trying to get the hidden message. Yeah, if you take the first letter of each word, it just it spells. Oh nope, it it just spells stop putting these together. All right, fair enough. First letter of each response to each question. Yeah, it's very carefully encoded message. Yeah, genius, genius. All right, Pat, I'll let you get into scoops. Okay. <laughs> so, Gavin, I know you've been on before, but we always do uh, scoops into top eight at the end of the show. Uh, basically, just sh- shout-outs, appreciations to other people in the community. Uh, so is there anyone you want to scoop into top eight this week, Gavin? You know, this week I really do want to scoop in Josh Lee Kwai. We talked about him a little bit earlier, but he came out with this amazing Game Nights episode, which you know we gave him plenty of props for earlier, but... Honestly, he puts so much time and energy and effort into every single one of these episodes. And then I see him post the episodes up and he gets a lot, you know, just like we were talking about earlier, you know, you get a lot of feedback that's negative sometimes. And um, I know that can be hard. And he does an amazing job, puts literal hundreds of hours of work into it. You know what? Cheers, Josh. You are a pillar of the magic community. I'm scooping you into top eight. Hell yeah. (laughs) Nice. How about you, Jerry? Uh, well, definitely want to scoop Gavin and thanks so much for coming on again. Always fun having you on the cast, man. It's great when you scoop someone else into top eight, then you get scooped in. It's just such a good I did feeling. It, yeah, I did it for the feel bads, you know, St- still made top eight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I also want to scoop just everyone else at wizards. Cause you guys are just all freaking awesome. Uh, I was so you're like the Oprah of top eights. Like we just, we just, we just you all get made a scoop top in, and you get a scoop in, uh, like scoop in, scoop in your cleaning service, the handyman who fixes the plumbing. Like it takes. There's, many... there's not enough slots in the top eight, man. There's only so many slots. It, there's many gears that make the company run. Uh, but yeah, I was so I was so sad when I saw that uh, the next Hascon isn't until 2019. I was looking forward to seeing everyone one again uh this year oh really yeah i went to go like see when tickets were going on sale i'm like oh 2019 is when it's happening (laughs) well we'll make sure to do it right when it does happen exactly absolutely well i think me and pat we're uh coming out for gp seattle in april so Uh, oh yeah oh great well if you're around please i mean i'll I'll be there so let's hang out go get dinner or something and any listeners want to come along let's make it happen i know all the good places (laughs) i'm a big i'm a big food guy so i can Find oh, out where yeah. we can go in Seattle. Show us all the foodie spots. Uh, 
I, I can feel Aaron Kalsen just cringing at that comment, though, because there's there's a long running gag where I just invite everyone to dinner. So thank you, Gavin, for showing <laughs> that it's OK to invite other people to dinner. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have the uh, the open the open one and then like the super secret one. Um, <laughs> that's you where know. you that's where you show us all the secrets of the upcoming sets, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll show you the secrets of the inside of this burger that I like. I don't know. <laughs> what? There's a spoiler in between my bun yeah <laughs> i call it magic and mayonnaise <laughs> uh, unfortunately the condiments have smeared the ink to the point of illegibility <laughs> yes well you know sometimes you just need a topping deck <laughs> oh oh right what about you jerry, we're, cu- we're cutting you off jerry <laughs> I'll, you know what? I'm going to scoop in Gabriel Nassif and Patrick Chapin for that amazing finals match that we talked about earlier. <laughs> it just reminds me of how good. I mean, that is like to me is like that's like peak magic right there to me. Uh, it was just fantastic. Uh, I also want to scoop Patrick Chapin in just for his amazing dance moves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I heard about it. He, he was uh, he was really oh, my God. Michelle's wedding. Yeah. Michelle, he was at the wedding and that that man can dance. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick is a man of many talents. He you would is. never look at him and assume that he had so many insane talents, but he totally does. If there's a thing, he's probably good at it. Oh yeah. Uh awesome. Uh, all right. Um okay, cool. So um Gavin, if someone wants to get a hold of you, uh where's the best place for them to ask you a question or kind of follow you on on social media? Well, you know, really whatever your favorite network is, I'm probably on it, but Twitter I'm very active there. You can follow me. It's just my name, at Gavin Verhey, G-A-V-I-N-V-E-R-H-E-Y. You can follow me on Tumblr as well, uh, gavinverhey.tumblr.com. Add me on Facebook, whatever mode you prefer, and I'm uh, more than happy to, to chat with you. You can email me too, beyondbasicsmagic at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, get in touch with me any way you want. Fire off questions, and you can have your own little personal mini podcast show. <laughs> awesome. Except it's not recorded <laughs> and sent out. <laughs> <laughs> right, so that's where we get to the end of the really saucy stuff. Then, wait, that, that's when you ask about long walks on the beach. That's your chance. <laughs> wait, we send this out. We send this out, Jerry. I thought this was just for you and me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the personal collection. <laughs> All right, and uh, you can find me at Pat Eagle on Twitter. You can find Jerry at J M E E three R D. You can find the show on Facebook. Just search for Leaving Legacy. You can find us on Hipster the Coast every Friday. MTG Cast every Monday. And uh, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash leaving a legacy. Gavin, thank you again so much for coming on, man. It was great having you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime, guys. And uh, yeah, I hope you all enjoyed the show. If you have any feedback, please let me know. And I look forward to talking with you all soon. Yeah, awesome. Hopefully see you in uh, April. Yep. Yeah, I'll I'll see you in April. And uh, until then, leaving a legacy. Out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Should I, should I like, do a rap or we something? Should, we should have like, workshopped that one for a second. Let me see. Let me, let, me, let me drop this. All right, let's see. Oh man, all you right. do improv. All right, all right. Just, 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 just listen on up. Listen on up, kids. Here's the deal. Leaving a legacy, it's the best. They really like to put you to the test. You put on your headphones, listen to the show, then you think, wow, I don't even know where to go. Then I listen. They're playing Zoo now. What's that? No one plays Zoo and Legacy anyhow. It's okay. It's fine. Now it's show and tell. Here comes Emrakul. I'm going to send you and ring your bell. Don't know what to do now. Oh, no. It's round three. I'm two and one. I hope I don't lose. Uh, Maybe I'll get there. Let's see. Finally, I'm playing. Keep 
keep going, keep going, comboing out. It's finally snowing, cold outside. I really don't want to leave. Playing for top eight. What do I see? Oh, no. It's Jeremy. He's sitting right across from me. What am I going to do? It's my favorite podcast host. What goes on? I don't even know. Then he says the most unexpected thing. Man, I'm your friend. I'm going to let you win. Scoop into top eight. Have a good time. Leaving a legacy. It's on a dime. Wow. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, Jerry's face just got melted. <laughs> I have one party trick, but it's a pretty good party trick. That is a pretty damn good party trick. I'm, I'm oh, glad man. that years of studying poetry, I'm sure, uh, paid off. My, my professors, I'm sure, are rolling somewhere right now. But there you go. No, this is the best use, best use of the education. Right. Everyone always asked, Gavin, what are you going to do with a degree in poetry? And what I didn't tell them was a rap on a magic podcast. But right here, here. Right here. We're, uh, we'll send you that check with your year's salary in the mail because uh, that's, that's how the world works. Yeah, that better make the final cut. Uh, watch out, Spruik. I've got a got a compilation album. Oh boy. 